Hi, welcome to the video or to the podcast. Whichever way you're enjoying this content, I want to thank you for being here. My name is Danielle Day. We will spend the next 60 minutes together learning about the Niyamas. Hi, I'm the director of Open Up Yoga Teacher Training, and I'm just so grateful to do this part of my job where the humanities portion of the yoga tradition really has chance to just stretch out and spread out and air out. You know, it takes time to become a yoga teacher. The 200 hour journey is wonderful to stretch out in, you know, and just take our time with concepts. We do 10 hours of humanities in session and 20 hours online so that in addition to what we do in circle, you get to do at home. So whether you're listening to the podcast or you're enjoying this video, I just want to thank you again. This is the highlight of my life, being able to teach these concepts. And the second limb on the path of the eight limbs of yoga is called the Niyamas. And that's what we're talking about today. And so by the time you're done with this hour, you'll have a grip that much more so on what the daily practices and personal observances are on the path. Because like we said in the video last time about the yamas, these are kind of like the items where if it's in breach of these things, then it's not yoga. If it's in alignment with these ideas, then they are checking the boxes that make it yoga. So you'll remember the yamas that was ahimsa, kindness, satya, truth, asteya, not stealing, brahmacharya, moderation, and aparigraha, non-attachment. Now we're talking the niyamas. So we're moving from restraints or ethics or, you know, universal guidelines to personal practices. I loved this content. When I learned it in 2004, I went to a workshop at the Northwest Yoga Conference. And I remember this big deal yoga teacher from this big deal studio in Bellevue held space for us. And we got to learn about these and it, it was so clarifying because he said, hey, look, I don't care what your physical practice looks like if you're not on the path because the third limb of yoga is the asana. So what your postures look like is one thing, but these first two limbs, they are yoga as much as asana. And if you're not practicing kindness, truth, not stealing, moderation, and non-attachment, and you're not living in alignment with the niyamas, then who cares what your practice looks like? And it really like surprised me. So let's get into this, the second limb of yoga, the niyamas. The first niyama, saucha, cleanliness. S-A-U-C-H-A, saucha. So to be on the path in yoga, saucha, cleanliness, is the first step that we take in a personal observance each step of the day, every step of the way. You'll remember from Sunday school or what have you, cleanliness is next to godliness, yes. And I love that because really, no matter which way you slice it, ritual, order, and ceremony underpin everything we do in yoga. And ritual, order, and ceremony really lean into the thing about order. You can't have chaos and make good things happen. You can't have untidiness and make good things happen. You know, we really love this Marie Kondo person because she's helping us understand that, uh, that tidying up, you know, helps us create space to live our lives. And as you look around my backdrop here, you'll understand I'm not really a minimalist. I am a maximalist, but I work hard to take care of what's mine. I work hard to take care and to have cleanliness and order be part of my routine. And so a yogi on the path does the same. Saucha, let's say it, saucha, cleanliness. So saucha has a lot to do with how you show up in the world, how you practice living your life. And so of course your clothes are clean. I'm trying to make sure the microphone um, has access to my face without having 
some immodesty happened like in the last video. <laughs> it got away from me. <laughs> My point is this, clean, right? We don't gossip. We work hard to not consume low vibration content like gossip magazines and gossip, you know, about celebrities and gossip with each other about other people. Eleanor Roosevelt had it right when she said great minds talk about ideas, average minds talk about things, and small minds talk about other people. So saucha, cleanliness, clean up your act, you know, keep it clean, is something that we practice because that's a higher vibration. In the yoga teacher training sphere especially, we work hard to talk about samadhi, liberation from suffering, and the practices and techniques that can be conducive to this rather than saying the names of teachers and studios or people we follow on Instagram. Think about it. The vibration of talking about the names of other people is fine, whether we're celebrating what they do or, or critiquing the offering as something we're maybe choosing against. Either way, it just cheapens the discussion when we say names. So saucha, cleanliness, even if you're not trying to talk crap about somebody, Bringing up someone's name when they're not in the room is kind of doing that. So we practice hard to just get right to the meat of the matter and say, you know what, in class, I appreciate when this happens or the teacher does this. And I think that's awesome and I want to try it too. Versus, okay, when so-and-so teaches, oh my God, he's just so amazing, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's just wastes time and it lowers the vibration. And even so-and-so, he wouldn't want you to attach to him anyway. He'd be like, well, all I'm doing is what my teachers taught me. So let's, let's work on the yoga and not on glorifying my name. So you'd be surprised to think, huh, that cleanliness has anything to do with using names in training. But to that point, cleanliness, you know, we also work hard to take good care of, your, of our bodies. So we do practice. We're on our mat a good two, three times a week for sessions of class for asana so we can keep in our physical practice and all of the great qualities that we're exploring for our agility, balance, coordination, flexibility, peace of mind, cardio capacity, strength, stamina, energy, all that good stuff. Saucha is also about taking good care of yourself in terms of getting enough sleep. You know, I heard the saddest thing. It surprised me. A teacher in training was saying they get three hours of sleep a night. Mm. I was like, wow. I know that medical research holds that seven hours is a good average for us to hit. But depending on who you are and how you're put together, and what phase of life you're in, sure, you could swing anywhere from six to eight-ish and, and call that good. But man, I'm really worried about anybody who says less than four hours is effective. So I would hope that they can restructure things and, and ask for help from some, you know, help and support from people in their life so that they could at least get to five, six. I mean, geez Louise. Saucha, cleanliness. Of course, you practice proper nutrition and you try hard to, um, you know, avoid overindulging in snacks and treats and stuff. But also think about how right now in this day and age in 2019, we're kind of up against the opposite of clean eating or maybe clean to its extreme. And that's what's called orthorexia. You know, sometimes you have too much of a good thing. Sometimes you're practicing eating too clean and you're being too perfect. We used to say in my coaching career as a personal trainer that perfection is not a lifestyle. I'm really down with that. You know, we practice trying to, you know, have intuitive nutrition, intuitive eating, and enjoy what we're having, but also, yeah, attend to the fact that 80% of nutrition should probably be plants, right? What did Michael Pollan say? Eat real food, not a lot, mostly plants. Yeah, friends, as a yoga teacher, I think we're in alignment with our scope of practice when we just have that as the mantra. We're not going to make recommendations to students about going keto or paleo or vegan or whatever our practice is. That's not our place. We want to send them to registered clinicians who are trained as dietitians and nutritionists for that kind of information. It is in our scope of practice to say, eat real food, not a lot, mostly plants. Can't go wrong with that. So saucha, cleanliness, 
taking good care of your car and your home, doing your laundry, bathing. You know, we have to remember whether it is that we are yoga students or yoga teachers or yoga teachers in training. Yeah, maybe you don't take a shower before you go lift weights and run on the treadmill, right? But you take a shower before you go to yoga, especially hot yoga classes, because you're not going to get anything productive done if you're so gross and stinky that you can't even stand the smell of yourself. And whether or not you do get something accomplished in the company of others, if you're detracting from their experience because you smell, that's not really good either. And if there's no showers in the facility where you're practicing or taking teacher training, make sure you're taking a very good shower in the morning and the first thing you do when you get home, take a very good shower. And that throughout the day, you might instead change your clothes. Definitely use like the wipes, like the Neutrogena face wipes, you know, for cleaning up, you know, any sweat off your skin. Always washing your hands, carrying your hand sanitizer in the times we are now where there's a little bit more of germs and colds and flu and such, knock on wood. But the idea here is that saucha cleanliness is your first order of business. And that makes sense. You can't get magic done without any order. Think about Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. That was a cautionary tale, if there ever was one, about how you should keep all of your stuff in order and that you should be very skilled at using your tools and whatever magic things that you have at your disposal. So for us as yoga teachers, all of our props, all of our blankets, all of our straps, you know, everything is neatly folded and put away nicely. The floor is clean. And this brings me to the point of probably the most important aspect of professional development. Friends, yoga studios are excited to hire you because of your knowledge, your skills, and your abilities. But even the most talented and fabulous teachers are not welcome on the team if you do not leave the space better than you found it. Okay? I'm astonished at the times when I'll be in a space and a very big deal teacher finishes their class and then just rolls out while there's puddles on the floor and streaks on the mirror. Now, if they have another gig to get to, great. They need to make sure that they schedule their time in such a manner that when their class is done, they leave the room better than they found it. Whether it's the studio policy or not, that's just what you do. Friends, saucha, cleanliness is conducive to samadhi, liberation, liberation from suffering. We can't get the right things done if the place is messy. So think about how when you go to practice, whether it's to teach or to take, that you look around you and see how you could contribute to the betterment of the space. Is there something needs put away? Is there something that could look nicer? Pick up a Windex bottle, you know, do something to help out. Now, when you go to put your mat down, make sure that you unroll it nicely and quietly so you don't disturb the people around you. And that when you put your towel on top of your mat, you really take a moment to smooth out the rough corners and edges. And just take a second to just maybe say thank you before you get onto your mat. Saying thank you, like you're blessing this space, is just another way to optimize your practice because the you that starts your class is materially different than the you who finishes the class. So give yourself a moment to honor the space first before you step into the space. Also, while you are practicing, you know, it's good to have a little hand towel because if sweat does drip in your eyes, you can take good care of your skin by keeping that at bay discreetly. A teacher would appreciate it if you had a towel for if they go to offer you physical adjustments, say in child's pose or downward facing dog or uttanasana, that there's a nice towel there to be a barrier between their hand and your skin. And you would want that. So whenever I had students who always reported, I really love physical adjustments or walk on my feet or please rub my back, I'd be like, well, then bring your own hand towels and I will do this because it wouldn't do for me to take the same towel and adjust all the people. But if you bring your own little tiny towel, you get touched more. That's what you want. So more on that later. But at this point, it's just great to connect the dots and discuss saucha, cleanliness. When you are done teaching a class, pick up the mop. Make it true, guys. Even if it's not part of your job description, it's part of being a team and it's part of being a good yogi. So in teacher training, we work hard to show up early so we can help set up. 
you know, because it's very helpful for me if people are saying, well, where, what props will we need for this first activity? Can I start the tea kettle? You know, what do you need me to help you bring out of the car? Like, that's really appreciated. Then it's a fresher me having a chance to set the space for you without being frazzled. And I do get there early and I do tr try to have the party set up before my guests arrive, so to speak. But what would be so appreciated, I want you to know, is that if maybe you noticed that maybe the, the floor did need a little bit of attention before we got started, or maybe teacher who taught last didn't take out the trash or something like you're thinking ahead of these things because that's what a quality teacher does because we live in alignment with Saucha. We help finish cleaning up the space before we leave at night and so lots of hands make quick the work so it's part of the culture of being a teacher so please understand that when we ask you those of you in teacher training who yeah are devoting a ton of time and money to teacher training understand that part of your professional development is to train you to get out of your own world and look around at the space and say how can I leave it better than I found it yeah okay so saucha cleanliness think clean talk clean act clean but don't get crazy orthorexia nobody wants to be friends with somebody who can't go out to eat because you're only allowed to have hot water with the lemon you brought from home that's no fun okay Give yourself a little bit of latitude. Eating disorders are a big problem, especially in this industry. So I want us to be on the lookout for it, okay? Eating perfectly all the time is a life sentence, not a lifestyle. All right, so Santosha. The second tenet of the Niyamas, the second limb of yoga, is Santosha. What is Santosha? Santosha is gratitude. Gratitude doesn't mean that you're going to pretend everything's great all the time. No, life is going to hand you some contrast. But what santosha is, what gratitude is, is taking what you have and making it what you need, noticing that when you lose, you're not going to lose the lesson. Say something bums you out. Say that you are really upset because someone let you down. Maybe they acted in a way that really broke your heart, made you feel really, really blue. Well, that's kind of the memo there, the Maya Angelou quote, when somebody shows you who they really are, let them. And maybe there are people in your life that are not compatible for your path, your dharma. Maybe they're getting in the way of your bliss and your journey. Maybe it's time to say goodbye to those people. You do not have to keep people in your life who don't make you feel good. When you take out the trash, so to speak, and I know this sounds judgy, it just gives you more bandwidth to welcome in the good stuff and the good people. The folks that you love are in your life. The, the folks that are in your way, send them on their way. I know that's tough talk, but you only have so much prana. So santosha, gratitude means thank you now for the newfound time and energy to attract the people who do vibe with me. There are energy vampires. Uh, we don't want to be those people. And so we work hard to live in alignment with Asteya, not stealing other people's time and energy. But when you yourself know that you deserve the best in life, you're only going to get the best. So Santosha, contentment, gratitude, looking on the bright side, playing the glad game, you know, really choosing instead of to look at what you wish were different or you wish you could change. Honoring and loving what you have brings more of that to you. Einstein proved that everything is energy and energy operates on frequency. We can vibe at low frequencies about shame and fear and sad despair, or we can vibe at high frequencies of gratitude. So no matter what life's handing you, you can call it a win. Because if you say to yourself, well, gosh, this is really upsetting me. I'm experiencing some contrast. It's your call to practice, but what are you grateful for in this moment? That you're woke? That maybe you've learned that this person isn't on your team? Send them packing because there is somebody who's perfect for you waiting. Something to think about. I know, giving people grace and giving people another chance and being there for people is good, but it is till it isn't. So part of the niyamas, part of santosha, part of gratitude is being really grateful for what it is that you do want, that you do prefer, and that you do love, honor what you do have a hold of, and more comes to you. Then you're on this spiral up. 
that which is making you feel wonderful, keep honoring that. Say it like it's already true. Be thankful for it before receiving it because as you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Saying thank you is the opposite of receiving. So if you say thank you for the magnificent outcomes before they even find you, those magnificent outcomes come to you. And then life is a scavenger hunt where you just all day long saying thank you for the magnificent outcomes. That's powerful magic. And then as you receive the magnificent outcomes, you say, wow, it works. Thank you. And then more comes to you. I know it's hard to believe in times that are troubling, but even in tragedy, we can find gratitude. Mr. Rogers said it best after 9-11, he spoke to parents and he said, I know we're very sad about what happened, but tell your children, look at the helpers, look for the helpers. If we put all our attention to folks who are harming others and people who are mean, we make that a bigger deal. But instead, if we shift our focus to heroes and first responders and the rallying of friends and family and community members, people of faith, people of love, we make that bigger. And I know our human brain wants to focus on the negative. You know why that's true. If someone, for example, has a bad meal at a restaurant, they'll tell 10 million people about it. But if people have a great experience at a great restaurant, maybe you'll tell a couple. But are you like as stark, ravingly excited to get your point across? Hopefully. I mean, hopefully. But it seems like human nature sometimes swings a little bit more to complaining than to celebrating. Well, Santosha, let's say it, Santosha, contentment, gratitude, the second tenet of the second limb of yoga, we focus instead on what we love and what we care about, what we're fighting for, what we're thankful for, and then more of that comes to us. So something to think about. It's something you won't always want to do. That's true. But that's why it's called a practice, that you're acknowledging that you're on the path and that you have choices with your vibration to be grateful, to express thanks, or to complain. My favorite mantra is, thank you, universe. I have no complaints whatsoever. It, it is what I do a million times a day out loud and to myself, and I post it all the time on my Facebook. Why? Well, because I know that life doesn't happen to me. It responds to me. And if you need some resources to work this muscle, I really recommend The Magic by Rhonda Byrne. Yes, the author of The Secret. She's written about four books now. The Magic is number three. I like it the best. It's a 28-day program about flipping your trip, where she really helps you start every day saying thank you for 10 simple things. And then she has you do a practice that day where you're amplifying your gratitude toward one facet. And I just am here to tell you anything you do for 28 days can literally rewrite your brain. And that's what's really fun. And it brings more magic into your life. So Santosha, gratitude. It's the magic that Rhonda Byrne has written about in book number three of her series, The Magic. Something to think about. If anything, start every day. Don't put your feet on the carpet. Don't get out of bed until you can step one foot in front of the other and say thank you. Okay? Don't ever think about what you have to do that day. Think about what you get to do, right? When you think I have to take my kids to school, you stop, drop, and do gratitude and say, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that my children are getting an education and that I have safe, reliable transportation to take them to the learning facility and that in that space of time, we get to enjoy each other's company before we separate and I go to work and they go to school. There's no have to about child rearing. When you're like, I have to do these dishes or I have to pick up these toys. Stop, drop, and be grateful that you have these beautiful people that you have attracted into your life to teach the lessons of ritual, order, and ceremony. To teach about basic cleanliness and housekeeping and, and self-care skills. But at the end of the day, you have a messy house because A, you have a house. Yay! Not everybody has. And that B, you've got people who you love to mess it up. Would you really want to live by yourself? Without anybody there to mess it up? No. That's what the spa is for. Maybe go there for an hour because you never miss your children more than when you're not near them, right? 
Okay, thanks for listening. The Niyamas talked about Saucha, cleanliness. Talked about Santosha, practicing gratitude. The next is Tapas. All right, so Tapas. It's those little plates of Spanish food where they put it on top of the wine glass. Because back in the day, the Spanish army, they were drinking too much alcohol. And the king was like, give these guys some food. They're getting loopy. And that's where we got Spanish tapas. And that's why we love this word. Now, you're like, okay, but what's that got to do with yoga? Well, tapas, T-A-P-A-S, in the yoga tradition means purification, ardor, discipline, like the fire of tapas. So it's like kind of doing the hard work. That which doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. You know, the catalyst to transformation. It takes effort. That's what tapas is. And so whenever I joke about little Spanish plates of food, which we love so much because Barcelona is our favorite place, I think about the tapas it takes for me to say yes to the first, second plates, but maybe no thank you to the third, definitely the fourth and fifth plates of tapas. The hard work in that moment is saying, you know what, I'm executing some nutrition strategies. I'm not being orthorexic, orthorexic, but I'm saying, I know I'm teaching tomorrow, so I'm going to stop at one glass of wine and two little plates of Spanish food. That takes tapas. You know, living in alignment with your dharma means having to show up. I love that in the sutras it says, the fire of tapas will not burn you. It will burn away what is not you. So when people undertake the very challenging rigors of yoga teacher training, moving from being a student to being a teacher, there's a lot of hard work involved. And all along the steps of the journey, you're having to execute some tapas. You have to really like leap into the fire because it is a challenging process. There's work to do. And it's this hard work at work worth doing that gives you the end result that you want. Don't let it get away from you. You, you must still be able to get enough sleep and enjoy your life. So to have fun, like I don't want your nose on the grindstone the whole 200 hours that that does not do. But to always in those moments where you're like, oh, I have to go to class. Be like, wait, no, I get to go to class and I choose to go to class because invariably in this class, I'm going to learn a little bit more about myself and how to offer my best as a yoga teacher. And that's working hard at work worth doing. I always say in yoga teacher training, guys, these are not food handlers permits we are dispensing at the end of your training. No, this 200 hour certificate represents a lot of work on the path. Going from teacher, sorry, going from yoga student to yoga teacher isn't a given. You don't just pay your fine and do your time and then get a certificate. No, we're here to work. So all of the hard work, this fire you're leaping into, this, this discipline that it takes to practice cueing the breath, saying the name of the posture, and then verb your body part, learning your Sanskrit, learning your sequence, learning to execute perfect timing, music adjustments, transitions to all levels, classes all the time in real time. It takes some work. So let's pick it up. We'll do it a step at a time and we'll reflect on what we've learned. We'll assimilate what we've learned and we'll be curious about what we're still learning. But the process of you showing up prepared to be there and nowhere else because it matters doing your best is the rewards inherent in the journey. There's no effort wasted on the path and there is no effort wasted in the journey of yoga teacher training. So tapas, again, it's, it's the fire, but it won't burn you. It'll burn away what is not you. So when people come into training and they have a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of narrative about perceived shortcomings, limitations, or weaknesses, I like to say, I don't coach to your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your limitations. I don't, I don't coach to that. I coach to your strength. And so you're able to look at what you do have got a hold of and we work from there. You look at what your knowledge and your skills and your abilities are and we work from there. We don't tell each other stories about you're nervous and unprepared. We don't go there. We don't talk about that. We show up ready to start and we move it forward. Sometimes a little, sometimes a lot, but in the end, it's all the way, all the time. I'm so grateful 
that you're on the path to becoming a yoga teacher and the 200 hour process of start to finish is fraught with challenge. But when you rise to the occasion, when you front up to the challenge, you get to meet the who you really are, the you you really are. I like to say yoga teacher training doesn't change you. I like to say it reveals you. It's a mirror, just like the practice. It shows you, is this a theme for you? If so, is it serving you? What can you learn from this and how can you wield it? You guys, tapas challenges us to notice when we are afraid, but we do it anyway. You do it scared. The thing about teaching is it should feel scary because it tells you that you care about doing a really good job. I have a friend who's a performer and she says that performing, especially when she's written a new song and she goes to sing it for people who have not heard it before and she puts herself out there as a performer, she says it feels a lot like being in love with a new relationship and being the person in the relationship to say I love you first. It is that scary because you're putting yourself all out there, cards on the table, putting it all out there on the line and saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Not knowing if they're going to return your love or not knowing if you're going to get hurt. Just taking that chance, leaning into that fear to be in the truth is a lot like teaching yoga. You're putting yourself out there. You're being vulnerable. You're exposing yourself to what could potentially be a scary and humiliating situation. I won't let that be humiliating or all that scary for you because by the time you're done with teacher training, you've run through the paces just over and over and over and it feels really solid. So you're never going to go into that situation cold. You know, you're never not going to go into teaching a real class and feel at all like you did in teacher training. That's my job. My job is to put your feet to the fire of tapas consistently and with loving care and just a, just adoring loving support of the budding teacher inside of you so often, so many times that when you go to teach your class, it's rote. Like you've, got, you've, you've gone over that territory so many times, it feels familiar. And it's going to free up your bandwidth to actually noticing your students, paying attention to the stagecraft of lighting, music, you know, musical interpretation, performance element, you know, where you're going to stand, you know, you're blocking, you're adjustments of the energy of the intonations of your voice and just noticing their form and their alignment and their breathing. Yeah. Tabas. I love the memo that which does not challenge you does not change you. So back to little plates of Spanish food, being able to say no, thank you to going out to tapas because you're teaching the next morning, knowing your friends will still love you and have your back. Even if you don't go to every happy hour or adhering to a budget. If you and your sweetheart are on a budget, and you're like, okay, here's our budget for our evening out. You know, adhering to your budget, whether it's to go out to tapas or to just make it through the month in alignment with your goals is tapas. Yeah, you know, paying attention to what is scaring you and leaning into it, that's tapas. So back to teaching, it is scary, but it's because you care. So make friends with that feeling. It's gonna feel like a routine. Even at my expert level, having taught well over 11,000 hours in the studios and well over 10,000 hours in yoga teacher training, I still get nervous when I say, welcome to class. My name is Danielle. Let's begin. Because I care. The day you stop being scared, the day it doesn't feel like leaping into the fire anymore, the day tapas is gone, is the day you hang it up. I had a really good conversation with a friend who's a senior teacher. She's senior to me because she had been in the fitness industry for a couple, three years before I came along. And we ended up reconnecting a couple years ago. And I remember she, she said to me, she goes, how was your class that you taught today? Because that was the arrangement. I was going to come over and see her new grandchild after I taught class. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was okay. I loved it. I, was still, I still get nervous. And she looked at me, she goes, you know, before I hung it up a couple years ago, I should have hung it up a couple years before that because there was a period of time where I just wasn't nervous anymore. And now that I think back, I should have hung it up. You know, because that feeling of being that 
oh my god i'm gonna do these things i'm gonna say these things i'm gonna hold space for them. i hope it goes well Ooh, put myself out there again if it doesn't feel that mission critical and thrilling for your dharma if it doesn't scare you a little bit then it's it's there's no tapas that means there's no resistance there's no edge to push on it means you're not getting stronger anymore and it means that you're complacent and that leads to laziness and that leads to teaching for money instead of teaching for the big picture and we'll get to the big picture in a second no friends yes we will be compensated well for our time and effort yes friends we have abundance to claim for our own as a result of putting out our best every single day to our students to our communities to our studios but we're not doing this to get filthy rich it's not to say your needs aren't going to be met no you're not driving yourself into poverty to be a yoga teacher but you're also not planning to be a mogul you look at every person who ever went into this gig to turn a buck and it kind of backfired I'm not going to be in breach of Saucha and name names and stuff. But I'm here to tell you, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> what device? Maybe, I don't know what that was about. Kind of freaked out. We'll edit that in post. My point is this. You look at anybody who ever really turned a buck at this gig on a grand scale, and it kind of happened that phrase of absolute power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely some stuff got away from some people i'm not going to name names but i'm inspired every single day to have no debt and to keep all of my promises to my vendors to my accountant to the irs and to my husband to my family and to myself without accumulation of the trappings of a lot of coin. Maybe I'm playing small ball. Maybe I'm just being cautious, but I'll tell you this, and I appreciate you listening, because this is part of tapas. Making do with what you have is really healthy. Not overextending yourself is very important. And when I was a yoga teacher, in addition to having two full-time jobs and being a single mom, I only ever taught yoga for the fun of it and to have a little extra for emergency savings and for fun. I never factored yoga teacher money into gas, food, rent, utilities, or any obligation that was in my household budget. That was covered by my full-time day job. Came a point where my full-time day job became yoga and I did make ends meet and I was able to live pretty comfortably, had a studio, really had to practice tapas because all of the money went to the studio in terms of the rent, the payroll, the taxes, etc. But now that I am my own entity and I've been doing this for a good five years on my own, I'm, I'm grateful to say I'm debt free and my needs are met. My car is, is fixed. My child is working away through graduate school. You know, Greg, my husband, he does well. And I'm just saying to you these things because tapas means you're going to teach for the love of it. You will be compensated, but don't try to go too much bigger into such where maybe you are getting overextended and that you need to teach to make payments. Does that make sense? I, I would be really in alignment with yoga if I tell you, be careful to not have to teach. Does that make sense? Like you have to work, you have to earn a living, you have to have money to take care of your life. And when you do it in the right way and not live too high on the hog, so to speak, you're gonna be okay. The minute you get crazy and reckless and you go into a bunch of debt to the point where now you have to teach, that I think screws up the juju. I think that screws up the way that the world works in terms of energy. You know, we want to be teaching for the right reasons. So tapas is also expressed in those yogis who travel the world and teach workshops and retreats and have no money in their pocket. I know some friends who travel the world, they teach workshops and retreats and they have no money in their pockets. 
they get from gig to gig, from situation to situation, from resort to home to campsite to what have you, kind of just living on the faith of the abundance of the universe. And that's awesome. And I'm not brave enough to do this, but I will say, please make sure that when you teach, it's because you want to and you get to, not because you have to. All right. Um, hopefully that finds you in a good place. Tapas. Tapas kind of means austerity. So let's go there. Yeah. Tapas kind of means that you live within your means and that you make do with what you have. Think about the Buddha when he set his people loose to go lecture at different villages, the teachings of the Buddha. He had them each bring a bowl and they were to go and show up at the next village, give a lecture and the people from the village would feed them, you know, put food in their bowl for that day. And then they would go on to the next village. Same thing. Deliver a lecture. They would feed you, go to the next town. And that that was deemed to be a very spiritual thing because they weren't accumulating more. This whole thing about accumulating wealth and having the trappings of a bunch of coin was incompatible with the precept of tapas. Well, just like brahmacharya, you know, celibacy in its, you know, extreme, just like ahimsa, veganism in the extreme, tapas too. It's not we're saying we're going to do well being ascetics. You know, the people, the renunciates who just live off the grid with no clothes or money, like back in the old days when Buddha bumped into them and he practiced hardcore, punish the flesh kind of yoga. Everything in its extreme can be bad. So when we think of living in a middle path with tapas, think about how you do want to be challenging yourself. You do want to be living in a modicum of austerity, but don't go crazy. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Tapas, that which doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. So if you're not compelled to stick to a budget, if you're not compelled to adhere to some mindfulness around your resources so you don't paint yourself into a corner and have problems, then you're in pretty good shape. The niyamas, remember, these are daily practices. Saucha cleanliness, santosha gratitude, tapas, the purification of the fire of hard work, discipline, austerity. Okay. Shvadyaya is next on the list. Let's say it. Shvadyaya. Now Shvad, you've heard that word from Shvadistana, the second chakra. So Shvad having to do with like your story, you know, like the deep layers of your narrative, like the family of origin kind of, you know, memo here where it's like, this is, this is where you came from. So the secret, like deep places in yourself, yourself, Shvad, and then ya ya. Um, love saying that when I got to train in 2014, an 11 and a half year old little girl to be a yoga teacher, I would say, Nastya, did you study? And she'd say, ya ya. And that's how she would remember Shvad ya ya. Shvad as in self and yaya she studied. But yeah, studying yourself, accountability to your best, setting goals and tracking to them, reading the illumined works, taking class two, three times a week, being on the path, going to class, not just because you feel awesome, but going to yoga class because class is taking place. Being on the path, Shvadhyaya, taking one step in front of the other in alignment with your goals, in alignment with your dharma, self-inquiry. So we work hard to be people who take responsibility, to take accountability so that we're always learning and always doing better. Shvadhyaya, I really am eager to share with you how Shvadhyaya can be one of the most important facets of being a professional yoga teacher. Studio owners and managers are happy when you have these fabulous knowledge, skills, and abilities to showcase. But if you're not coachable and approachable to give feedback to, you're no good. Does that make sense? In yoga teacher training, I earn my living by helping you execute the steps of this system, this process that I've been fortunate enough to create and refine over the last 55 sessions. So that when I encourage you to do the system and practice cueing the breath, saying the name of the posture, and then a verb, your body part, 
in accordance with proper timing, music adjustments, transitions in an all levels class, I'm earning my keep. You paid me good money and good time to help you do this. It's on my soul to help you work these steps. So it's on your end to receive my input gratefully. I will never be mean to you. I'm never going to put you down or make you feel bad. Like when fear enters, everything else leaves. So I know that if I get a little too excited about supporting your efforts, you're going to shut down and freak out and not learn anything. So let's assume that in good faith here, you understand that I'm looking out for you and that every single thing I tell you in correction should be met with a thank you. And I'm not saying some sort of masochistic, yes, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, I'll have another, like, you know, hazing in a fraternity or something. No, what I'm saying is, yes, you're right, thank you, that's what I meant to say. Don't debate me. Don't fight me. If I say you said this and you didn't hear yourself say it, don't stop the bus to fight me whether you said it or not. That's unproductive and that's disrespectful and I won't have it. And I, I, I think I deserve a modicum of basic respect because I will only ever offer you my best. And, you know, my friend Coach Jerry had this wonderful saying. He used to say, really, you only give feedback to those you care about. You know, right? Everybody else you just sort of let fall on their face. If I care enough about you to say, oh wait, no, remember, it's cue the breath, say the name of the pose, and then verb your body part, or whatever the feedback was, for you to go, oh, yep, you're right, thank you. Here's a typical rookie mistake. Reaching and stretching and breathing, we are, okay, no. Reach, stretch, breathe, you are, your. Does that make sense? One sounds a little bit more like, vague and descriptive. Like we say in teacher training, anytime you start a sentence with a body part, you're just loading up a description. And the weight is in the heels, chest lifting and rising, shoulders down and back. Like That's not helpful. But if you say, notice your breath, concentrate on it, meditate on it, Relax your shoulders down your back. Turn your thumbs to the back of the room. Pinkies forward. Then it's actionable. See, I'm out to teach you positive, actionable dialogue that takes place in the present tense, as in directing someone to do something. It always has a verb initiating the cue. Press your heels. Shift your work forward. Lift your right leg high. Okay, these are actionable steps. But if you say, inhale your right leg up, that's very passive dialogue. The worst would be right leg lifts. Do you see the difference? Inhale, lift your right leg high. That sounds like something you could do. Right leg lifts. It's just a description. So in yoga teacher training, in alignment with Shvadhyaya, I'm asking you to be on the path of self-improvement, self-inquiry, and self-respect. You know, don't cheapen the moment by trying to debate me about if you said that wrong or not. I'm just telling you, look, I'm here to help. So and when I say, no, no, it's this, remember, then you say thank you, and you just continue on. Not to make my life easier, but to make your vibration higher. No one ever points anything out in yoga teacher training to shame you and make you feel bad. That's not what we do because that is a breach of ahimsa. That is unkind. That's not the gig. Nor is it for me to like pump myself up like it's my, you know, glorification. No, I'm here to teach you how to teach. That's what yoga teacher training is about. So if I just shine it on and let you just say, oh, lift that leg, engage that belly, instead of no, hun, remember? No. Inhale, lift your right leg high. Engage your core. Draw your navel up to your spine. Help your pelvic bowl tilt or tuck as needed. Does that make sense? I'm here to serve. You're here to grow. Let's get into it. So if we ever do bump heads and there's, there's hard feelings, 
then we'll take a break. We can stop the bus and we can start again when you feel more clear and I feel more clear. So in the thick of it, yeah, some of my teachers in training, they really want support in real time. Like catch it right when it happens so that they fix it and they create the good habit. Some people prefer input after class when we're debriefing as a team. It's, it's not very many people that prefer that because the right people get this and most of the people get this. And here's what I'm saying. That when we do stop you in real time and you're able to fix it, not only are you benefiting, but guess who's really benefiting? The teammates. Like you, you'll come to understand this. When you're on your mat, you know everything. From the safety of your mat, when you're the student and your friend, team member is teaching, you know everything. But when it's your turn to get up and teach, sometimes things can escape you because of nerves. Because when fear enters, everything else leaves. That's a thing. But for you to be in that hot seat and take it for the team in terms of being reminded, no, wait, hun, it's this. And you say, thank you. Everyone else in the room who knew that was what was up is like, oh, yeah, they learned too. In small group training, pockets of time throughout teacher training, when I turn you loose with a partner or two or three, and you guys each are assigned a chunk of a class to teach to each other with no paper or no notes, it's not because it's now your time to be perfect and don't mess up. No, it's your time to do your best. And if you get stuck, enable your friend, your partners right there in the group with you to be like, oh, no, it's this. And then you'd be like, thank you. And they'd be like, yay, I know something too. And then it's your turn to do the same. So Shvadhyaya, self-inquiry, self-study, you know, accountability to your best is all about being amenable to feedback and support. And to be thankful for it. Don't be ashamed. No one is saying, ha ha, you got it wrong or you suck. That's between you and you to figure out. When I say to you, it's this, not this, and you say, thank you, then we're going to grow. I will never be wrong. Trust me. This is my 56th rodeo. Only the names have changed. You're a special, unique, fabulous, wonderful person that I do not know, but I do know this. The habits, the patterns, and the rookie mistakes, and the opportunities, and the growth ahead, and the results I know are coming at you, that always stays the same, okay? Only the names have changed. So trust me, you're lovely, okay? So Shvadhyaya is for you to be like, okay, cool, I'm working at this, I'm setting some goals, I'm tracking my goals, and when I'm on, off track, I need some support, and I say thank you for that support, and then not only are you growing, so are your friends, and so there you go. So I get very few people anymore in teacher training who have a problem with being coached, but there's a few sometimes, and I, I think I can see it coming before it's a problem. And I'll teach you this in Ayurveda, that when you notice someone's pitta out of balance, you speak to them like a rock star. You know, if they are a person of a lot of fire, you don't open with, you need to do this, change it. No, that would get you shot, <laughs> so to speak. Kappas, the people with a lot of earth in their constitution, they like to be pushed. You talk to them like a personal training client. More, better, faster. Now, they like it and they say thank you. People with a lot of air in their constitution, the vatas, you know, people that are a little bit flaky and spacey and totally anxiety riddled with just fear and scared feelings. You talk to them like a flower, like a delicate flower, like a child. Not like you're talking down to them. No, you're just being very orderly and clear. Do this, then this, like this. You go slow, purposeful, and you just consistently deliver the ground that they need, the structure, the container for their scattered energy. And so what I'm saying is sometimes I bump into a fellow pizza because have you met me? I'm all fire all the time. And I can learn how to be like, okay, oh my gosh, you're awesome. This is great. Here's an idea. Let's go again. Good job. You know, then I'll go further. I'm never going to blow smoke up your skirt and just give you platitudes and false praise. I, I'm not going to do that. So that's what you can expect. I mean what I say, and I'm consistent about it. And I'm like a dog. What you see is what's happening. I'm not like a, a cat, you know, where you just never really know where you stand. They keep their cards so close to their chest. They got all this game. I have no game. So that means you know that when you're winning, you're really winning. And when you need to be corrected, I'm here to help. And I'm only always ever going to tell you the truth. So thanks for listening. All right. So the last 
tenet of the niyamas, the second limb of the eight limbs of yoga, is Ishvara Pranidhana. Let's say it. Ishvara Pranidhana. Ishvara Pranidhana. And Ishvara Pranidhana means in alignment with the divine. It can mean devotion to God, but that's not for everybody's, you know, spiritual practice. Some folks have no spiritual practice. Some people have a very, you know, very dedicated, specific spiritual tradition, and we don't want to step on their toes either. So what we want to do to be an accessible yoga teacher, instead of saying devotion to God, devotion to the greater good. So you can put as many O's between the G and D as you like. Devotion to the greater good. What does that mean? It kind of goes back to what I was saying about cash flow. You don't teach because you have to. You teach because you get to. You teach because you want to help make the world an even better place. That before you teach a class, you, you do a clearing exercise. And for me, my practice is to just walk down the hall, go use the bathroom, definitely just like wash my hands, look in the mirror and say, this is for them. And then every step to the door of opening the studio and saying, welcome to class, I take every step and go, thank you. Thank you. I'm just thanking the universe for the chance to do my best to help make it better for others. And that's my goal in life. And so when we teach to be a big deal, which you never would do, I don't seem to attract people like that in this tradition. You wouldn't be somebody who's just teaching to make yourself a big deal. But, you know, like I'm saying, instead of teaching to be a big deal, we teach to help other people. If you are feeling under the weather or less energy and you try to tell yourself, well, maybe I should just sub out my class because the students deserve better than what I have to give right now. That's in breach of Ishvara Pranidhana. Keeping your promises because they plan their whole week around your class and, and showing up for work because you promised you would be there. That's the ethic of working in this industry. And that is in alignment with Ishvara Pranidhana. And trust me, when you get there and you open the door and say, welcome to class, my name is so-and-so, I'm so pleased that you've taken some time for yourself. Trust me, you will feel no fatigue. You will feel no hunger, pain, illness. As long as you can talk, you can rock. So, you know, take some cold medicine, use some throat lozenges, have a nice cup of tea to have in the room with you. Unless you're barfing up a lung, you're showing up to teach the class. That's why they hired you at that studio too, because they knew they could count on you. You're a person who, of their word who keeps their promises. But what I'm telling you is, even if you feel like, oh God, I wonder how this is gonna go, I'm not feeling good, it goes. There's some wonderful features and benefits to fight or flight that make you awesome. Part of being scared, part of being nervous, is that it just completely puts you in a physiological state of go time. I've witnessed it so many times in my life where, I'm serious. I once had a 104 degree temperature because I was on the wrong antibiotics from MRSA. And I taught. My mother died and I taught. I partied when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and slept at the studio because it was next door to where the party was. And it woke up the next morning and I taught a class. Went right back to bed for the whole day. But what I'm telling you is there's something beautiful about teaching where it's like you feel no fatigue. T yoga sculpt, a lot of people are like, I'll be too tired to do the counting and do the moves with them. Trust me, you'll never be in better shape than teaching yoga sculpt because you don't feel fatigue. You don't feel pain. All you're doing is tracking the execution of your class. Music, timing, lights, adjustment, form, tempo, timing, your jokes. You know, just the good, the good energy you're putting out there. Like you send your energy somewhere and it gets bigger. That's what we say. What you resist persists, but where you devote your energy makes something bigger. When you love people and you love teaching and you love helping make a difference, being hungover, being sick, being shy, being scared, being sad, they just don't matter. There's something cool. It's almost like an emergency room nurse, I should think, that no matter what kind of day they're having, their feet are on the floor at work, they're in their uniform, and they're on. And I don't know if it's because of experience or just a little bit of how I'm put together, my constitution, my, my pitta, a little bit out of balance all the time. It's just 
for me, there's nothing more fun than this. And I, I promise you, you go through this program, I put you through the paces, you will build this set of knowledge, skills, and abilities. You'll get out there and you'll start doing it. And each time you'll do it scared, but you'll see each time it's worth it to make people feel better, to leave the people better than you found them, to leave the people a little better off than you found them. And you'll get hungry for it. You won't want to do anything else. And I really am grateful to walk on the path with you. I know I got a lot of ideas. I know I'm kind of unfiltered. I know I'm a little rough around the edges. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm telling you this, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to look perfect. Your practice doesn't have to be something just so show picture ready, show ready, picture perfect performance. All you got to do is care about other people and doing your small part by your thoughts, your words, your deeds, and your actions, making it a little easier for folks. And that's all I want to do. And I'm so grateful for the chance to do it. So thank you for listening. You've just heard a nice little hour on the Niyamas. Let's review. Again, Saucha, cleanliness. Santosha, gratitude. Tapas, discipline, right? Austerity, fire, hard work. Shvadhyaya, self-inquiry. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, but be honest with yourself. Ask yourself how you can track to your best. Hold yourself accountable to your best. Those four agreements, right? Be impeccable with your word. Avoid making assumptions. Never take something personally and always do your best. That's Shvadhyaya right there. And Ishvara Pranidhana, a devotion to the greater good. We don't teach because we have to. We don't teach because we need to. We teach because we want to. We teach because we get to. And we teach no matter what we're feeling like because we know it's not about us. It's about them. So thank you for letting me do my best for you. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, whatever else you have going on. I hope it fills you with peace and happiness and freedom from suffering. Namaste.